Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 207, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Why are parents sneaking CO2 readers into their children's backpacks? And is the flipped classroom the right move? Some researchers comb through the results. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics in news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, for some teachers, educating students about climate change can be a political minefield. So what can they do about it? Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, director of curriculum and instruction, and co-host Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? I am honestly exhausted. Exhausted. <laughs> oh, I know you. You've been pushing hard on the weekends. I know you're taking your son to universities and all the football y'all yeah. play, but then uh, you just hit the road running on Mondays with with schoolwork, right? Yes, we're really, really busy, but it's it's not a complaint. Um, it's just proof that we are doing everything we can to support teachers and students and teachers are working so hard. And, you know, it's just that time of the year, October, you, you start getting a little exhausted, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, we have a holiday break coming up in about a month. So we're just going to keep pushing through. Keep keep on pushing. All right. I'm going to ask you something to see if you've heard this. You may have heard it maybe in your like Facebook uh, teacher groups or something, but I had not. I, I came across this story in the New York Times and it was about the idea of parents packing, of all things in their backpacks, CO2 readers. Have you heard this? No. Okay. So parents got the idea that you can actually use a CO2 reader to tell how well ventilated your child's classroom is. And these readers um, are sophisticated enough to where they kind of take readings every few minutes. And the New York Times opens up with an example of a parent who uh, did this and how she kind of stuck it in her child's backpack. And um, she noticed the classroom was coming back with good readings, but the cafeteria, for whatever reason, was not. So she actually called up the principal and was like, hey, uh, I've been taking, you know, I guess you call it air quality readings at your school. And I've noticed your cafeteria does not have good ventilation. Can you please allow my child to eat outside? And I think it shocked the principal that uh, she had any data at all. And, I'm shocked right now. <laughs> and, and apparently this is a thing that is happening, at least um, in some parts of the country. And uh, I guess, wh- what is your reaction of hearing that? You say you're shocked, but what do you think? I'm shocked. My immediate response is just a moment ago, I talked about how hard teachers are working. But there's a little group out there that does not get the credit they deserve. Principals are doing it everything in their power to try to run their buildings efficiently, effectively, and safely mm-hmm. in a pandemic. And of course, we, we, we know last year we were all learning um, while living in the pandemic. And that's the case for many principals again now. And so to receive notification that a parent has been secretly monitoring the air quality, <laughs> that, that just laugh, takes but, my, but yeah, yeah, it takes my breath away because there's so many 
other pressing issues that they have to face each day. Right. And to be honest, that is something that should be directed to um, whoever is responsible for facilities management. That's where that needs to go. Because in all honesty, a principal will not have control over HVAC systems and, you know, things of that nature. They, they will not have control over that. Yeah, I think you and I are kind of on the same page. I, when I first read this, I was like, all right, that was creative, like A for effort on the parents' part, like they're, you know, they're thinking outside the box. But then I had that same reaction of like, come on, can we, we're going to have to give these educators a little bit of a break here. Um, I Listen, yeah, go ahead. people are on the brink of just melting down from trying to be everything they've never had to be before on top of just the, the job itself is expensive. And I can just imagine a principal who is already just exhausted, trying to keep a, a team of teachers motivated, trying to get kids to come to school and do their schoolwork. And if they're virtual, to complete the assignments, you have expectations of parents, you have the school board, you have your central office administrators. And to get an email like that, it depends on the time of the day, but I could imagine that that might have just left the air all the way out of the balloon for somebody. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah. According to the New York Times, New York City has distributed the devices to every public school. So they're kind of doing their own monitoring without the parents' help. And the British government apparently has announced plans to do likewise. Um, they also pointed out that many parents who are kind of like trying out these CO2 monitors on their own um, say that they have forged a community on Twitter where they are using the hashtag COVIDCO2 to use trade tips about how to smuggle the monitors into classrooms and how to are interpret the data that they're collecting. I have not gone to the hashtag to see how active this is. but Are, uh, are these people, do they have jobs? I, no, I guess they must not. I don't know. I mean, like I said, in, this is a serious matter in some sense, but in another sense, I feel like this I mean, is just it jumping is, the shark a little bit, you know? Well, I just don't think it's something that we need to bombard principals with when they're trying to keep human beings safe each day. They're trying to make sure they're getting high quality instruction. They're trying to make sure they're being fed. I mean, it's just it's it's just so much um, to be responsible for to, you know, get some type of negative correspondence regarding air quality. I I. I just I'm kind of at a loss of words and to <laughs> right. know that they've established an entire community on Twitter, like volunteer to tutor, volunteer or to, to open help windows. Out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, do something to help ease um, the difficulty of, of the job of an educator today instead of identifying more things that are, you know, yeah. not where you want them to be. I'm with you. I thought you might get a kick out of that one. Um, so another article that <laughs> I came across over in, um, it was linked in the Marshall Memo, but I think it originated back on Brookings Brown Center chalkboard um, in late September. But it was a look at flip cheat teaching. Um, you're familiar with flip teaching. I know we've talked about it yes. on the show. And and I think uh, as we went into the pandemic, the, the idea whether a lot of educators realized it or not, it kind of made sense just with when you're working with students online, the idea of like giving students an online lecture or a presentation to prepare for class and then having them do different work. You know, I think that kind of became more common. Do you think you're seeing more teachers try the flipped method? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> teachers right now are trying any method they can um, to motivate children and, and to make sure they're able to reach them, especially, you know, some schools are not back traditional. Some are hybrid. Some are, are, are virtual, have a large population of their students going virtual. I think instruction has been completely flipped <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> because of literally. the pandemic. But absolutely, I do think so, especially with the different learning management systems and just all the different um 
resources that they have access to that they've been exposed to, not necessarily, you know, all by choice. Some of it because we were forced last year to find innovative ways to teach our children when we couldn't come to school. So, Well, two researchers um, took, again, where they use what they call meta-analysis. They looked at 317 published studies of flipped learning and try to figure out, all right, are we seeing this work or not? Like, is it a good method? And this is just going to be college classes that they're examining. So it's it's just a okay. snapshot, not K-12. But they said they focused on all that data and they came up with the conclusions that students in flipped classrooms performed better in most subject areas. Outcomes were best with foundational knowledge, professional and academic skills. And um, it also says that it looks like students in flipped classrooms did better in all non-cognitive areas, including interpersonal skills, engaging with the content, and developing metacognitive abilities such as time management and learning strategies. I'm uh, glad you shared that. That was going to be my first question is, did they measure engagement? Because we all know that what the research says about when you're able to engage students, then they actually enjoy the learning process and they take ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also they point out that Flipped learning was more or was most effective rather in skilled based courses, including technology, health science, and languages. Do you think that you can apply this flip method to this was college? I mean, do you think it applies to the younger kids as well? Does it translate as you were in, say, like K through five? I would say yes. Um, but it also just depends on your school environment, your resources, and what you have access to. I would like to have someone, um, as part of our our guest uh, host, talk about flipped learning specifically. Yeah, we've done an episode way back in the day, and, and I could actually work it into but this. But I suspect it should be a little bit different, though, um, since we've had to take on so many new practices. Yeah, post-pandemic, it, it just it should look different. And what, what we were discussing as flipped um, classrooms two or three years ago might be the norm and not necessarily flipped anymore. That That's a fair point. Um, another point in here, it says instructors who gave pre-class quizzes to make sure students were doing their homework registered lower academic gains than those who didn't. So they say that that's a plus to actually give those pre-class class quizzes to kind of be like, are you guys really, you know, following along here as we go? Um, and it says this points to the wisdom of giving in class rather than before class quizzes, says the researchers. So, uh, well, I don't know about them. that in the K-12 sector. I mean, if anything, we do pre-assessments just to gauge what our students know and help us modify and adjust instruction as we introduce new standards. But I'm not sure how that would actually impact um, school-age children. And, and the last note, it says student satisfaction with flip courses was slightly higher than for traditional teaching. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess it... Maybe uh, it could be a big deal on the high school level, but K-5... Mm, yeah. so many foundational skills are taught then. And, and I guess if you have, if you're used like in a, in a high school setting or a college setting where a teacher's mm-hmm. just lecture, 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 I can see how, yeah, I'm going to be more be. satisfied flipping this. That's right. You know, so That's that does right. make sense. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, I think, like you said, at the younger age, I, I, I don't know. I think you do need it to maybe be a little bit more traditional. I don't know. I'm kind of speaking out of turn. This isn't my area of expertise. But even with traditional instruction, I want you to know that small group instruction, hands-on activities, um, inquiry-based instruction, teacher as a facilitator, that are, those are current practices. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I really think we're getting away from the term of flipped classrooms. All righty. Well, Christina, uh, are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I can't wait. 
Our guests in today's Bright Idea segment are two professors from Purdue University. Dr. Andrew Hirsch is with the Department of Physics and Astronomy, and Dr. Daniel Shepardson is with the Curriculum and Instruction Department, as well as the Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Science. I invited them both on the show after reading their piece published in American Educator titled Teaching Climate Change, What Educators Should Know and Can Do. Gentlemen, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start off by getting your opinion on where the education of climate change with our youth should rank for you? I mean, is it like, should it be at the top of the list? Should it be like math and then history, then climate change? Like, where does it fall for you? Well, it, it, it's relatively high, obviously, because I think it's the uh, most important environmental uh, issue facing uh, society today. And so I, I rank it quite high. Um, we need to start engaging in activities that are you know, I'm um, going to address our climate issues here and, and protect our environment. So it's it's a top issue. And I'd say it, it's high because it it connects to many areas of of science and mathematics. And, you know, it's a it, it's an opportunity to integrate what students learn along the their academic uh, pathway. I, I want to get some of the hard questions, kind of the hard like political questions out of the way right off the top here. Speak to the to the teacher that may be in an area where, I mean, let's be honest, climate change, for whatever reason, mainly because of dollars, I guess, has become a wedge issue. What would you say to the teacher that's afraid to have this conversation in their classroom? I guess I would say that uh, it affects uh, every body, every area of the country. And uh, if, if you, regardless of whether you uh, accept the fact that the changing climate is driven by uh, man's activities, man-made activities, the climate is nonetheless changing. Farmers can tell you that. Insects know that. Birds know that. Uh, sea levels are rising. So there are quantifiable measures that need to be considered. And uh, it's not a matter of politics. It's a matter of uh, adapting to uh, the situation that is changing. And it's, it's, it's been changing in measurable ways. And, and we've been talking about climate change for at least a couple decades now, but are we not doing enough right now in K-12 through education to talk about this? Is that, do you guys feel that way? Uh, yes. I mean, um, it's, it's not well covered in classrooms, uh, there's piecemeal. yeah yeah it, ha it tends to be addressed in in uh, piecemeal fashion as Andy said so it might be covered a little bit in uh, in say um, earth science class it might be covered in a different way in biology may not even be covered at all in physics or chemistry which really, when you look at uh, carbon dioxide and the whole energy process, that those tend to be more physics and chemistry oriented. So it's not well covered in the schools. Uh, there's not really a clearly uh, defined conceptual framework to help teachers to teach about uh, climate change. It, it, it requires students to work with data and conceptual models, which is also challenging for, for students. And uh, so to, to teach about the topic is, 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 is hard to do. And then teachers have all these other curricular goals they need to meet. 
And to address all of those, also uh, then puts time constraints on um, the time the teachers have available to work on these uh, topics in their classrooms. So, you know, if the average teacher can spend three or four hours a year on the topic, we're probably doing pretty good. You know, it's a perfect uh, venue for uh, uh, an upper level, maybe 12th, 11th, 12th grade integrated science course. In your article in American Educator, um, you guys touch on the the idea that of whether or not we should even debate climate change in the classroom. And you point out three common approaches. You say one thing that teachers often do is they teach both the scientific perspective on climate change and they'll teach the skeptics perspective on climate change. You'll say that some teachers may, number two, do encourage students to kind of come to their own conclusion about the cause of global warming and climate change. Or number three, you engage the students in debating about climate change. But but you guys kind of say none of that should really happen. Am I correct? Yes. Um Climate science, climate change is uh, accepted by the scientific community just as any other uh, scientific concept that's taught. And we don't debate uh, other science concepts like photosynthesis or um, earth system science. And so it's really not a uh, topic for debate. It's accepted science. And that's really what should be taught. Uh, they should un- students should learn uh, the science, the data, the scientific models behind uh, climate change and humans' impact on our climate. The debate really is about how do we deal with the issue, and so uh, that's where uh, teachers can engage uh, students in debating the ways we can mitigate or adapt to our changing climate and. There are obviously lots of social and economic and health uh, related issues around how we approach this this issue. So, so you say, yeah, this is this is it. This is the science. This is this is the way it is, and and teachers just need to embrace that and and lead with that, I guess, as they're going into their lessons. Now, I know you guys found some as you kind of reviewed textbooks and stuff. You actually found some troubling perspectives, some perspectives that may even contradict what you just said. I guess you say that some textbooks um, almost kind of leave that as an open-ended question. Am I right? Well, uh, other researchers have uh, found those things. We simply kind of summarized their perspective on those analysis, and and that's correct. Uh, Some of the textbooks tend to uh, suggest that this is not a, a 100% 100% uh, agreed upon by science, or it's it's uh, lacking some uh, scientific evidence to, to support it. So it's the language that's used in textbooks that kind of conveys this uncertainty about about the issue. What should a teacher do, I guess, if they do have a textbook that almost, you know, they know the science, they know that the scientific community is says, you know, this is happening, this is real, but the textbook says something slightly contradictory to that. I, I guess my, my preference would be to focus on, as Dan said, climate science. That is, let, let's, let's understand uh, the Earth's energy budget. Let's understand the carbon cycle. Let's understand the feedback system within the climate system. So let's focus on the science and 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 get a firm understanding of of those issues and what what's the difference between weather and climate. Those are uh, those are the 
the basic facts one needs in order to really digest the, the, the body of information that's been gathered now over the last 50 years that provides the overwhelming evidence that, yes, the climate has undergone a substantial change. What should teachers do specifically to help students understand climate change and kind of where maybe students lacking as you kind of go into the conversation? Well, I think one of the starting points is to make sure they understand, have a good understanding about weather, climate, and climate change. And so I think it's important that uh, students look at uh, weather events, day-to-day weather, and look at that data then in context to climate data, which looks at, if you will, weather daily weather spread out over 30 years to calculate averages or means for our uh, weather that becomes climate. And then we can look at how uh, day-to-day weather fits within the context of that 30-year climate period. And we can see how it's similar or different. And then we can look at it in larger uh, data frames up to, uh, to say, 100 years. And again, we can put it all in a context of uh, past data. Is this where you kind of recommend what you call an event diagram, like having students work on one? Uh, that could be uh, included at that time. Uh, the event diagram is a, is a nice uh, technique or tool. Uh, it kind of helps make students' thinking visible, kind of helps scaffold their thinking. And the idea there would be to trace uh, an event through the different spheres to look at how it's impacting uh, the Earth's system. So yes, that would be an excellent uh, location. So you could look at how burning fossil fuels to generate electricity might impact the atmosphere or how it might impact uh, uh, the hydrosphere or how it impacts uh, the land and all the connections, interconnections between between that event. Is there a particular topic about climate change that you think students and and maybe even in some cases teachers have trouble grasping? Yeah, I I think that understanding the Earth's energy budget is is a key uh, piece of understanding uh, climate and climate change. So uh, the Earth is warmed by the sun, but... uh, Without greenhouse gases, of which water is the water vapor is the largest component, uh, we would be a cold planet. And uh, the 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 fact that we have natu- naturally occurring greenhouse gases is a good thing. And when we increase the concentration of greenhouse gases, it naturally provides more warming. And uh, at the moment, we're out of equilibrium. How important is it to, to have a talk about um, fossil fuels, and how do you do that with a classroom of kids? Fossil fuels and, and their use, obviously, is the major problem, really, to, to climate change. It's uh, the burning of uh, natural gas, coal, or petroleum that releases the extra uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere that, that's creating our problems. So, really... Uh, climate change is an energy problem. And so we have to start looking at uh, um, the data behind the use of energy and what that might tell us about how we could go about solving this problem. And so we can make um, uh, more data-based decisions about uh, solving the issue. 
And so I think a lot of people might be surprised as they look at the data that really transportation is, is probably a bigger problem in emission of, of uh, greenhouse gases than uh, generating electricity. And, uh, so, so we have to look at this data and we want to get kids to look at this data and start thinking about uh, what are ways we might solve the problem based on what we know about our use of energy and its uh, emissions of carbon dioxide. You both went to prestigious universities and you work at a prestigious university and, and you have probably a lot of smart students um, coming through your classrooms. But what's I don't know if you work with freshmen at all, but do you feel like they're informed on this topic by the time they get to you? More so than in the past. Um, I think I, I think nowadays uh, there's a lot of awareness and I, I do deal with first year engineering students. And I think a good number of them are in tune with uh, the current issues. And, and of course, the, as Dan indicated, those issues provide opportunities, you know, whether it's in improving uh, energy storage in batteries or uh, industrial processes that, that produce carbon dioxide. Uh, so there, there are lots of opportunities. And where there are opportunities, there are economic opportunities. So, you know, in, in some sense, you, you, you can redirect the discussion uh, about whether you, one believes uh, in climate change or not to an economic opportunity discussion. Uh, solar cells have come down incredibly in terms of their, their, their price, and uh, I think that's only going to continue as... as uh, Industries recognize that they can actually save money by uh, turning to renewable energy sources. So how did we get here, and not to go back to the political discussion, but it's got to be frustrating for scientists like yourself to to have such a, a hard-pushing agenda against the science. I mean, how did we get here? What, what, what has happened? You know, the, the discovery of oil um, allowed not only our economy, but worldwide economies to grow incredibly. And, and, and part, of the, part of the issue is the signs of climate change don't emerge uh, immediately. It's, it's a long-term process. And so uh, that coupled with the fact that early measurements, there was a lot of uncertainty and, and mixed methods in, in measuring uh, sea temperatures and atmospheric temperatures, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so it was rather easy to poke holes in, in uh, scientific arguments. Uh, we went through this with uh, smoking, if you remember. Uh, early on, scientists knew very well what the uh, uh, impact of smoking would be. And early on, in fact, in the late 1800s, People, physicists knew what introducing CO2 in the atmosphere would do. So some of the science is quite old, but it takes time for the, science, for the signs to emerge. And that's, I think, one of the challenging things in teaching this that is, as Dan alluded to, climate change takes place over a long period of time. And, and it's not a local, necessarily a local phenomenon. It can be cold in one place and it can be extremely hot in another 
And so, you know, you can have a senator hold up a snowball and say, what are you talking about climate change? <laughs> and meanwhile, we've set a global record. I think we just set one for the month of January. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's non-local, it's uh, non-linear, and it takes place over a long time period, which is uh, hard for uh, a K through 12 kid to really grasp. The article is in um, American Educator, and you, it's titled Teaching Climate Change, What Educators Should Know and Can Do. Why was it important for you to, to get this message out there? Well, again, I, I think it's our number one environmental issue. Uh, if we don't address um, a warming climate, uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, having to deal with uh, extreme heat, extreme storm events. Uh, the insurance industry is going to be overwhelmed if we don't start addressing these kinds of issues. Uh, food security could become a problem. We're going to pay higher prices for food. Um, it's just an uh, it's it's just an uh, uh, an environmental event that we we need to address. Yeah, and, and I would say. <laughs> At an even more basic level, the K through 12 kids today, this is their problem. They're going to be dealing with this. They're going to, you know, they're going to be the taxpayers of tomorrow who undoubtedly will be impacted by uh, climate change. So I think it's imperative for the adults in the room to begin educating them about these issues. And if a teacher really wants to, to take a deeper dive into this, I'm going to um, share a link to this article because, I mean, this is it's several pages. You guys offer a lot of different perspectives in there. Um, and, and it really does kind of, like you said, I mean, it, it's going to be probably for a higher level if you really want to dive into conceptual models and stuff, but it's a great place to start. Again, it's um, called Teaching Climate Change and it's um, in American Educator. And we'll have a link in our show notes. Um, Dr. Shepherdson and Dr. Hirsch, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat about this. Our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, are you guys ready for our pop quiz? Okay. <laughs> All right. It's probably been a little while since you've had to take a pop quiz, but first question, if students could go to school for only one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, we're biased. I'd say science. <laughs> I, I, I'm sort of torn between mathematics and statistics. Uh, I, uh, I'll go with statistics because... I think, I think that the general public has a poor understanding of statistics and how to interpret information, which usually boils down to understanding statistics. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Statistics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you could make an argument for, for statistics, even basic understanding of uh, means and modes and ranges and just being able to make sense out of, of data and graphing uncertainties. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, you know, the classic example is, uh, uh, you, you go in for a medical test and the doctor says, okay, uh, it's come back positive. What, what's the likelihood that, that it was a false positive, you know, understanding concepts like that, uh, are, are you know, can be, your life can depend on it. What does every child deserve? Good quality education. Yeah, good quality education and security. And good parents. Yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on this. 
being being, uh, appropriately compensated uh, and appreciated at some level I think you get what you pay for and you've seen teacher strikes in numerous states yeah I I think just uh, uh, a respect uh, for education and a recognition of the importance it plays in our society we can't solve any of today's issues or future problems unless we have um, appropriately supported uh, teachers and classrooms. What's the best gift to give an educator? I'd say thank you. Thank you for caring. Thank you for helping me learn. Thank you for preparing me uh, for the future. Yeah, I would say uh, support and that could be reflected as Dan said in, in, in the ways he suggested, could be reflected in uh, your vote for your local legislatures. Which teacher changed your life? Yeah, that's easy. That was my high school biology teacher. Uh, he really um, got me interested in um, the environment and ecology, and yeah, so he changed my pers- my perspective. And I'm going to say I'm going to share the glory with my fifth and sixth grade teachers because I had a I had a fourth grade teacher who didn't like math and uh, and then my fifth and sixth grade teachers uh, were into science I mean that's a really good question because I think uh, at the university even uh, there's a great deal of emphasis we're a research one institution placed on research and yet as a as an as a as a teacher in, at any level, you have the ability to affect the lives of thousands of, of, of students. And, you know, it's a huge amplifying effect. Yeah, it is probably my favorite question on the show. And, and I love to kind of sometimes push back and say, have you, you don't always have the opportunity, but have you gone back and told that elementary school teacher, um, if they're still around, to, you know, to say thank you, as, as you said? I, I think I'm a little too old to do that, if you <laughs> catch my drift. Right. I, I did uh, years ago go back to the biology teacher and, and let them know of, of the importance they they uh, served in my life and and so forth. Um, yes. Yeah, I did do it when I was younger, but I can't yeah. do it now. Right, but that's that is great though, and I, and I think um, you know all teachers, like you said, would really appreciate that. Um, and last question for you guys: pen or pencil? <laughs> pen. Uh, pencil, I guess. Thank you again for uh, both of your time and all the work you're doing um, in helping uh, the world understand climate change. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.